mental toughness with Dr. Rob Bell. Each week, Dr. Rob sits down with athletes, executives, and expert coaches to talk about mental toughness and their hinge moment. Here's your host, Dr. Rob. People always say, hey, what's your goal for this? What, what time goal do you have for this race? And I say, well, I have two goals. I want to finish and I want to smile. And I'm going to accomplish both of those. So that's sort of what I look at now. Um, I mean, lately I've had some I've had some, some success, which is cool. Um, I think the success has more to do with consistency and patience than actual like physical ability. Um, but you know, obviously I think my training has played some role, but in a hundred mile race, I think there's a lot of attrition. There's a lot of, uh, you know, people falling apart. And if you can just stay consistent and patient and sort of wait to the end to like, give it everything you got, then lately it's been working out well for me. Folks. When I finished my 100 miler, I was happy to be done, but I wasn't finished. The reason why my legs weren't completely bonked from running was that I used PR lotion by Momentus. It simply eliminated any lactic acid buildup in my legs, and it's the best product I've ever used. Momentus is a leading nutrition and supplement company which works with over 150 professional and collegiate sports teams. No other company has the accolades of being awarded six innovation contracts from the Department of Defense for Human Performance. Since I started using PR Lotion, I now use their plant-based protein, collagen peptides, and recovery formula. Look, if performing is important to you, do yourself a favor. Go to livemomentous.com. And for listening today, you get the best part a discount. Enter code DRB20 for 20% off your order. That's DRB and the number 20. LiveMomentous.com. Optimize, perform, and recover. LiveMomentous.com. So our guest today, I actually started following him because of his uh, funny clips on uh, Instagram. He's a firefighter in uh, LA in LA County, captain, father of three kids. Now he's been running ultras 2013, 2014, been doing a lot of races before that. Obviously, we talk about tough mutters he did. Um, but in, in 2020, he logged over 8,000 miles, a few back to back 1,000 mile months. And any followers there on Strava, he was number one in the world on Strava for quite a while. Just to give you an um, indication of where this man is in terms of endurance and dedication, he did three 100-mile races in five weeks. He's, he's won some of these races. He does really well on them. Um, obviously, the links are going to be there to follow him on Instagram. He's a funny guy. Um, 
But the reason why I wanted him on the podcast, it, it gets even better than that. It gets even better than that because the reason why I wanted him on the podcast, he has 102 weeks. When this will come out, it'll probably be 104, 105 weeks of 100 plus miles running every week. So I, I need to say this again for the non-runners that are going to be listening to this, right? 102 weeks of 100 plus miles. And He's got a great philosophy when it comes to life. I know you're going to get a lot out of this because the philosophy, and this is going to be the title of the podcast that we already have, smile or you're doing it wrong. Andrew Glaze, Andy Glaze, thanks so much for joining us, buddy. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. So, you know, in your Instagram posts, which um, which are hilarious, you had a uh, uh, some punk hats that you were wearing. Right, right. We got to start the podcast with this, man. Like, tell me, like, favorite punk bands, man, and and, and uh, growing up on that. Yeah, I mean, so I, I grew up in Southern California, and uh, I was born in the seven, like seventy eight. So, like, in the early nineties is you know, kind of like when you're going through your teenage rebellious years, and uh, that was what all my friends and I listened to. I, I think yeah. my my first really favorite punk band. You know, you you get into like uh, like Rancid, but before Rancid, you had. Uh, like all those sort of East Bay uh, Operation Ivy, which became Rancid, like yeah. that that style punk was like really really popular around where and then and then into like middle nineties like Pennywise and all that like Southern California punk. Um, but I grew up going to punk shows. I grew up in mosh pits, and uh, I love the music. It, you know, it's very motivating when you're running or you know working out to listen to like sort of loud, angry music. Um, yeah. Love Bad Religion, love Dropkick Murphys. Yeah, you um, called it, buddy. Yeah. I, bad, I mean, bad, religion, bad Religion is my favorite punk band. Yeah, I've seen Bad Religion probably 30 times live. I, okay, I mean, nice. I, probably out of all the bands, I've seen them the most, and I love them, like, yeah. so much. So... So what, what, one of my bad religion stories, man, it was at Cincinnati. I was going to watch him. My daughter was born. She was young and I was taking a non-punk fan, right? He was a golfer. He's like, dude, you're going to love him, man. I mean, this is a small venue. It's going to be great. I go down to use the bathroom. It's kind of like, you know, behind stage, you know how these places are. Right. I run right into Greg. Uh, right. Face to face. Greg, he just looks like a normal guy, right? Yeah, just normal like, guy, right? Like, like and your I, dad or something. And I, and I ran into him. I had just read his book. You know, just read his book too. I was like, oh, Greg, man, like, great to see you, man. I just read your book. Like, I loved it and stuff like that. And he was like, oh, cool. Thanks, man. And then just walked off. <laughs> and I was like, damn, dude, like, did I, did I scare him? I was like, I don't think Brett would have done that. You know what I mean? But Greg, he was getting ready for a show. So it was like, right. Oh, he was getting mentally prepared. So I do this and, and you can borrow it if you want. Right. But I, I tell my kids because they've listened to this music. I said, I don't care if you listen to it, but you're going to listen to it. And that's the Ramones. Right. Oh, and the yeah. reason and the reason why I'm listening to the Ramones, I said, look, this is a litmus test when it comes to people. And you have to ask them, are they a Ramones fan? Now, if they never listen to the Ramones, it doesn't count, right? It's it's right, a non sequitur. Right. But if they listen to the Ramones and they say, No, I don't like the Ramones, walk away. Because yeah, you nothing. know there's something yeah. wrong with that person, right? Totally. Yes, yes, for sure. So yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll do that. I, I've been slowly, you know, getting them into the punk. You know, it's such a there's no real like good punk bands right now. It's just it's all poppy and you know all that sort of stuff. And if you pull out the old stuff, they they think it sounds old. So you know, eventually they'll get there. Yeah, exactly, man. 
It'll be sad when some pop man starts like playing bad religion songs or something like that. You know, it's, it's going to be a weird, weird day for me. Yeah. yeah. When they start uh, covering those songs. You know, I'm, I'm at that stage now too, man. And it was probably, geez, man, probably 10 years, like 10 years ago, I was at a show and then like this kid was like, Oh man, you were the old guy that was in the, in the, in the pit. <laughs> I said, yeah. You know, that was, that was me for sure, man. My endurance allows me to be in the pit for a long That's time. Right. I yeah. can tell you, I, uh, I've I've stayed in pits for quite a while. I'm thinking like, man, I'm not even tired. This is just like a workout. Yeah, I take my but life. I'm sore I'm, the next day. I'm definitely sore the next day. <laughs> well, and, and and so I got to finish that story. So with that, he's a golfer. He doesn't want to get in the pit. I said, buddy, you're going to be fine. Like you don't need to get in the pit. Like you're going to be fine, right? But I'm getting in the pit. And so I'm in there, and then bam, like it was an elbow or something cracked me in the eye. I had a black eye and I had a photo shoot with my daughter and wife the next day. So in that picture, right, there's a black eye. So anybody come to the house looks at it, it's like, does he have a black eye? Like, yeah, he was at a bad religion show. And that's so great. Oh my God, I love bad religion too. So there you go. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> I'm glad we I'm glad we got to start to that, man. Now now yeah, we, sure. we got a connection. Yeah. <laughs> Smile, you're doing it wrong, man. Um, start with that philosophy when it comes to life, how it plays out in in what you do. Sure. Um, so it kind of, it kind of started like, uh, there's a Strava segment on a trail that I, I run all the time and it's just, this like perfect single track that goes down and it's called, you're either smiling or you're crying. And, uh, I, I always was just like, just, it's like my absolute favorite trail to run. And I, and I started thinking like crying, like who's crying going down this, like, everybody should be smiling when it comes to, to things like this. And, and, and that's sort of like the origin story of it, but it's obviously gotten way bigger because I started putting it on my social media and then my social media started getting bigger and bigger, but it's more or less, you know, that we all go out and do these runs or races or whatever it is. If you're a bike rider, if you're a runner, anything in life that you're choosing to do, um, as a hobby, as something that's fun. And then you go out there and it looks like you're sucking on lemons all day. It's like, you're not at work. You're not, you know, you paid to go out there and do this. You did all the training to get there. And then these people are like so upset that they're there. And I, it just boggles my mind. Cause to me, you should just be out there enjoying yourself. And if, if really, if you're not enjoying yourself, you're doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. and, and, I, and I get that there's a level of pain and there's a level of suffering and things like that. But you can turn that pain and suffering into happiness if you, if, if you have the right philosophy. Yeah. So, and I also strongly believe that if you do have a smile on your face, it, it helps you get through the mentally hard times and ultra marathoning or just in life in general. Um, you know, life is hard and there's a lot of hard points in life. And if you're able to stay positive and have a positive outlook, I think that a lot more times you'll be successful than than not successful. And, and that's not to say that I don't fail and have hard, hard races. And, you know, I, I, I've DNF probably more than anybody that I know. Um, and, and I definitely wasn't smiling when I DNF, but at the same time, those DNFs taught me something about myself. They taught me a, an important lesson that I learned and I'm happy about that. So, um, yeah, I just, and, and when I'm out in races, I try to smile the whole time and I try to like pump everybody up around me. I try to give positive encouragement, you know, tell people that they're doing great. And, you know, cause I know that it's uplifting and I'm trying to like, you know, make everybody do better, I guess. So mm -hmm. 
just just really putting that positivity out in the world and, and reminding people that to keep that positive outlook because ultra running is a, it's a mental game and if you get into that deep negativity that negative cave or you know it's, sometimes it's real hard to get out of that yeah. um so uh, that's kind of like where it started and that's where it's at now and now it's like you know now it's become a thing where people are quoting me all over the internet and you know it's, it's pretty, pretty wild how, i should i should make t-shirts but pretty wild how it's spread but you know i'm i'm happy about it like uh my social media is really about just uh bringing positivity into the running community and encouraging people to work out and run yeah um that sort of butterfly effect of you know putting that out into the world and hoping that you know i influence somebody to run and then eventually they influence somebody else to run and you know it the more people that are exercising, the more people that are running, I feel like the world will be a better place. Right. I totally um, agree, man. I totally agree. I think it's got to be the cornerstone of like the things that we do kind of getting after it and exercising, man. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yep, do it's, it, man. it's just, it's just important. You know, it's, it's yeah. totally changed my life and it's totally made me a better person. And, you know, uh, yeah, I just, I, I can't encourage people enough to go out there and just start, just do, you yeah. know, obviously you're not going to be on my level and I'm not trying to tell you to be on my level, but you know, if you can do one mile, that's more than 99% of the population. So, yeah, you know, be happy with that. So I'll go out there and, you know, I'll do 18 or something. Then I'll look at you, man. And like, well, I just did 60, you know, no big deal. But, but the relativity of it, it's kind of like, I can't explain to somebody after running 18 miles and it's kind of suck and it's cold, you know, but I had my chocolate lab with me. It was the best experience. Like I love on her quiet. It's just me. Um, you know, the mind's quiet when I get back and I have like pancakes or that coffee, it's the best pancakes I've ever had in my life. Man, oh, it, yeah. gives, it gives you that perspective. It does. It's, it's, it's great. And it does quiet the mind, which is, you know, another awesome aspect of it. You know, everybody wants to take, anti-anxiety, anti-depression. And, you know, if you need that stuff, that's great, but there are other alternatives and exercise is, is a big one, I think, for quieting the mind and, and, and getting rid of some of that negativity, that anxiety, that depression and things like that. Yeah. So, so, as, so as a firefighter, and, and you've talked about this on podcasts before, I mean, there would be some, you know, very stressful situations, PTSD that, you know, even a lot of firefighters come through. Um, how does the running you know, let's delve into it. How does it quiet your mind and keep you focused and sane? Yeah, I, I can't talk about it enough. And I, and I try to share it with a lot of police, firemen and uh, military. It's, it's just like, it really, there's like a, a switch in my brain. And as I'm running these like really long distances, it literally just like, it turns my brain off as far as me thinking about all the, all the calls and all the like negativity and stuff. And it almost, it, it's not like it erases it, but it like puts it away where I don't like necessarily think about it again. Um, especially after really, really stressful calls, it almost like decompresses me. Uh, like, you know, some people would go like talk to a therapist and, you know, by, by talking about it, it like helps them like put it behind them. But for me, like, it, it's like I'm putting it in a box and I'm putting it in a room and I don't go visit that room. It doesn't mean that I can't, like, if somebody brings up, hey, do you remember this call? Like, yeah, obviously I'm going to 
remember, you know, the, the terrible call or the terrible uh, situation that we were in, but I don't think about it on the daily basis. And it's kind of like compartmentalized and somewhere else. And, um, yeah, it just really, really works for me. And, 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 and not just like, like terrible calls and like, you know, dead people and all that stuff, but like just stress in general, like my job's stressful. I'm also like a union president of, of my department. There's a lot of stress involved in, in that sort of like labor negotiations and, and all that sort of stuff. And, um, you know, the stress of having three, three young kids, the stress of, you know, making sure that you're a good husband, all those things, um, I can decompress while I'm running. Um, and yeah, and I love it, but, uh, you know, in like a hundred mile race, I get to a point where literally it's like a, almost like a survival instinct where like the only thing I'm thinking about is how to stay alive. Like, I'm not thinking about my job. I'm not thinking about anything bad, anything good. Just literally I'm like, do I have enough lube on my legs? Do I need food? Do I need water? Am I, you know, what's my pace? And that's like, literally, I'm just like in this survival mode. And I absolutely love that feeling mm. where I, I don't, I'm not over, I'm not overanalyzing anything. I'm not overthinking anything. I'm just surviving. So, and I, and I get that on a daily basis doing like, you know, 20 or 30 miles a day, but like, it's really the long hundred mile runs where it really clicks off. And I, and I really appreciate that because I, I think way too much. I have a very active brain. <laughs> so do you listen to music at all when you run? Uh, so I do during races. I like to listen to music when I race. Um, really? When I run like training days and everything, I like to listen to podcasts and audiobooks. Okay. Um, and, I t- and, and I talk on the phone a lot, uh, especially if I'm running. If I'm home, I have like kind of like a rule with my wife where I can't do any work business at home. I can only do it on my runs. So all my union work, uh, anything that has to do with work in general, I I make all my work calls while I run. So that way I don't, when I'm home, I'm not like always on the phone. So people know like you need to get a hold of me. I'm available in the morning, really early. And I'm available in the night, really late, but not in the afternoon. That's family time. So, um, and every, like it's, it's happened. It's been going on for so many years that like everybody just knows, like if you, if you have a union problem, or, you know, a department problem and you got to talk to me. Those are the available times. Yeah. So. So you talk about morning time. You're a 2.30 a.m. riser. I you am. Put, I, mean, I mean, you put Jocko to shame, man. Like. Yeah. Two, I know. Two, I see his watch picture on Twitter every day and I'm like, ah, I was already like five miles in at that point. You know, Talk to, it, talk to us about that, man. How do you get that? Because um, I always say this, like it's. It's, you don't necessarily have to be crazy about your preparation or performance, but you got to be consistent. And you are the epitome of consistency. I mean, the streak that you have going, 2.30 a.m., walk us through that whole process for you. So, I mean, and it's not, I'm not like, I'm not super neurotic about 2.30. I try, my goal is always 2.30, but. Okay. But, so, you know, sometimes at work, if, we're, if we get like, you know, four or five calls at night and I get zero sleep, I'll, I'll sleep until like three thirty, or you know. So this, I the goal is always two thirty, and and normally I hit two thirty. But so Andy, um, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt, man. So you have a whole bunch of calls. You'll sleep until three thirty. Yeah, well, I'll get like an hour nap. I'll like I'll let myself have a nap. Okay, um, so you're so you're not going to be like 
I'm just going to do it in the afternoon. You're still in the morning. Well, I see at work, I, I can only have like, there's only certain times I can run. Right. I can run like in the morning and I can run in the evening. In the afternoon, that's like your work hours. So as a right. firefighter, that's when I have to get all the, the normal stuff done. So, you know, even still, I have to, you know, I still get my miles in at work. So I, I wake up at 2.30 at work too and, you know, and start grinding out there. It's just different because I'll run like 30 minutes and then I'll run a 911 call and then I'll run... 30 minutes, I'll run another one, and then I'll run 10 minutes and run another one, then I'll run an hour and then run another one. So it gets all broken up. Okay. But, uh, you know, it, it's just a, a different a different way. But, yeah, so, I mean, I didn't start waking up at 2.30. I started, I think, you know, waking up like 4.30, and then it was like 4, and then it was 3.30, and then it was 3, and then it was 2.30, and, and, and I'm comfortable at 2.30. I've kind of switched back like around and, and seen what works best for me. Um, like if I try to sleep until three 30, I just don't feel the same. I feel like more tired than if I wake up at two 30, I know that sounds weird, but um, two 30 just seems to be like the, the perfect amount of sleep. I get like four and a half, five hours of sleep, depending on what time I actually fall asleep. And that just seems to be like, you know, the perfect amount. I think, you know, one of the nice things about being older is that your bladder is terrible. And so at 2.30, I have to take a piss every morning. And so once I get up to take a piss, I'm like, well, I'm up. So I'm not going to like go back into bed and try to sleep another hour or something like that. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, that's just getting older and having that terrible, terrible issue, which you all will experience if you're young and listening to this. So um, it's just a, just a reality. So yeah, once I'm up, I think, uh, I think it was like one of Jocko's videos and, and it, I, I listened to it a long time ago, but he basically said like, once you get out of bed, start counting to 20 and just walk away from your bed. And, uh, I mean, it works. Like if you can count to 20 and get away from your bed, 20 seconds, like you're up and, and, and then you just have to start, you know, doing your routine. And like you said, consistency yeah. and all that. So. I, I basically just w walk, get up, go to the bathroom and then just walk away from my bed and, you know, start my routine of, I have immediately eat breakfast. I immediately start drinking fluids and getting hydrated and get a little espresso on board and, you know, mm -hmm. wake up and then start running. So. so when you're at, say, when you're running, you know, let's say at 3.30, 4 a.m., talk to us just about that experience for you and what it's like. Well, I mean, it's all, it, it, you're always in the dark. That's, I think, the, the big biggest challenge mentally um, for these early morning runs is I spend a lot of time just in darkness. And when I run at night, I'm in the dark, unless it's summertime. And, you know, summertime's nice because it actually stays later or lighter later. But, like, most of the time I'm running in the dark. Um, headlamp, it's cold. A lot of times it's raining or, you know, the weather's just not that great. And, uh, I, it's just, it's, it's a grind, man. You just have to like, uh, you have to emotionally prepare yourself for it not being like this amazing experience every time. Um, and then, you know, because I run so much, most of the time I'm like super sore. Um, you know, my first couple miles, I'm not moving very fast and I, I don't like get discouraged because I've done it for so long, but like, I think a normal person would look at their watch and be like, Oh my God, I'm running like a 13 minute mile right now. 
And that would just like shatter somebody's like reality. But to me, I'm like, well, I'm running a 13 minute mile, but in four or five miles, I'll, you know, I'll start to speed up. It just, it's, it, it's just how your body is when you run as much as I am. So, um, but yeah, a lot of dark runs, a lot of, I mean, I like it cause there's not a lot of cars on the road. You know, you get to see all the wildlife and everything, which is kind of cool. I see every sunrise and I see every sunset every day, which, you know, I can't speak highly enough about. I mean, those are like two of my favorite times of the day. Which one do you prefer? I, I think sunrise. I mean, I, I, just, I like the idea of being in the dark and then going into the light. Um, especially in like when you look at like 100 mile races. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously not the ones I've been doing because they're not like as crazy, but some of those like really hard mountain races where you're out there for over 24 hours surviving the whole night. And then you get that, like the sun is rising and then it gets light out and it starts to warm up. And it's just so like invigorating, you know, like really breeze like new, you can be up for 24 hours, you're totally exhausted. But like, as soon as that sun comes up, like your body just is like, Oh, it's daytime. It's like, I'm, I'm awake again. Um, and, and I love that. I really do. So not to say that sunsets aren't great cause they are, but you know, sunsets are great when you have a really, really hot race and you've survived the whole day, you know, it's like over a hundred degrees and you're just suffering all day. And you know that like the last 20, 30 miles, you've just been like, Oh my God, I'm, I, how am I even holding on? And then the sun sets and it just instantly cools down. And then you get that like second wind. You're like, oh, I feel so much better now. So they're, they're positive in both ways, but I, I prefer sunrise. Yeah. Uh, Coconano 250. Yes. What was that experience like for you? So, you know, I, I had high expectations and I really did not have the best race out there that I, I think I should have had. But um basically what happened was like five miles into the race, I tripped and like tore my hamstring. And, uh, that just, (laughs) it it changed my whole ability to like attack technical terrain because I was like literally in so much pain. Um, I'm a pretty good downhill technical runner because I live in areas where there's like a lot of technical trails and I have the ability to go uphill like, like with, with a pretty good, like decent clip. Like I'm not like, like a professional where they like sprint up these hills, but like, I, I can move uphill pretty quick. So as soon as my hamstring was torn and, um, I had to just sort of suffer through, it became like just a five day suffer fest. But that was my first time doing like a multi-day, like point to point race. And then I decided that I was going to do it solo with, uh, no crew. Um, or pacers and then it was like the first year they ever did it so they had like a lot of sort of growing pains and hiccups um so i mean you know all in all it was an amazing experience because it was like i was out of my mind for five days and i got to run for 22 hours a day but i went a lot slower than i wanted to go mm-hmm. so um i'm 90 percent sure i'm gonna go back and do it again this year and, and try to do a lot better but, uh, you know, just like with 100 milers and so many things can go wrong, like a 250 miler, so many things can go wrong. So especially when you're the only one taking care of yourself for five days and you have to, like, you know, make sure you have all the right gear and 
you know, drop bags and food and all that stuff. Um, then manage like naps and all, all of that. It's, I would look at these people that had crews and then I would get like super jealous. You know, they're like sitting right. in a chair, everyone's waiting on them hand and foot. Oh, do you need more of this? Do you need more of that? Then they'd go in their vehicle and like take a nice nap and like a sleeping bag. And, you know, I'm having to like do everything myself and then like freeze to death at, you know, wrapped in a space blanket, uh, breathing my own hot air to try to like keep myself warm. Um, but you know, it was one of those things like uh, super, super hard. And I like super, super hard things. And it's something that no one will ever be able to take away from me because despite all the things that went wrong, I still finished. Yeah. So, and uh, yeah. So, so it, five, five miles into the race, then you tear a hamstring. I mean, you have such a good perspective because you talk about failure as a huge teacher and, you know, we kind of get that cerebrally, but Talk to us about um, one of the failures, you know, whether it was Mount Fuji or, you know, discuss to us one of those, man, that you got a big learning lesson out of it, but you, it was still kind of a failure at the time. Because I look at Cocodona 250, that's that's a huge success, even though you didn't sure. run the race yeah. you wanted. But talk to us about that one then. Yeah, I mean, I, I think like my biggest, like if I had to regret a race, my biggest one would be Badwater, just because you put so much time, energy, and effort into one, getting into bad water. It's very, very difficult to get into. Yeah. Um, I had to, you know, I went out and crewed it. I ran all of Chris's races. Chris Kostman is the race director. I went to China. I ran like a, a Chinese bad water out there with Chris. Did all these things. Um, trained my butt off. Um, was probably in like some of the best shape of my life. And like just like I messed up on my electrolyte plan. Like I didn't have a good one and my entire body like literally failed me. Like it cramped from my neck to my toes. And I'm talking like the type of cramps you have when like you're sleeping in the middle of the night and your calf cramps up and you can't get it to uncramp. Mm -hmm. And you're like, ah, oh my God, this hurts. Like, like every muscle doing that simultaneously for like two hours. Um, so, I mean, there was no way for me to like continue. Like I couldn't fake it. Like a torn hamstring, like, yeah, I mean, it hurts, but you can like push through pain like that. You can't push through your entire body cramping. Um, and then like, I wasn't peeing and there's a lot, a lot of like total bottle body failure that went on and I'm a paramedic and, uh, um, scary. Yeah. Yeah. Like I understand body systems and all this stuff. And like, I'm not looking to go get rhabdo and, I'm not looking for like, you know, to get kidney failure or anything like that over a race. So, and I had, you know, three crew members out there that had traveled out with me, you know, like I rented hotels and, you know, I mean, I, you spend five, $6,000 on that race on top of all the training and all the stuff that goes into it like that, you know, going out and wearing sweatshirts and running in 110 degree heat and, you know, going to Palm Springs and running, you know, where it's 120 and doing all these things. So like all the, the journey of like training for it and then all the money spent to do it. And then all the time it took to qualify for it. And then to just like 50 miles in, just be like, your body's done. And there's, you have no other option is, uh, that was a, that was a pretty bad gut punch for me. Um, 
So, yeah, and I haven't gone back. I almost went back this year. I almost reapplied, but I just I have so many other things on my plate this year that I'll probably wait another year before I apply. But uh, so let me talk to us about that. Then you you great shape. You know what you're doing. It goes wrong, and you know I, I think bad water is obviously it's one of the toughest ones that's out there. Um, when you reflect on that, then, I mean, I know there's a lot of space and time now from it, but like in the immediate aftermath from it, how did you process it? And when, when did you get over it? Uh, I mean, well, I, I mean, I, I, I just kept running obviously. And I started doing a lot of more research on electrolytes and all that stuff. I bought a bunch of different types of electrolytes and looked at different salt pills and, and I started like incorporating them into my like heat runs. Um, I, I just started experimenting with my body. I went out and ran, see, that was July. So in August I did Angeles crest, which is a, a race out here. Um, and it was, it, and it's normally pretty hot. You, you run in the mountains, but you, you dip down into these valleys and it gets over a hundred. And so, I incorporated a bunch of like electrolyte planning that I had come up with after Badwater into Angela's Crest and was like super successful. Um, didn't cramp, didn't have any issues. Um, and then right after that went into UTMB for, I think my second year at UTMB and had like a really good race out of that. And then, you know, I just, I just kept rolling. I think I had Havelina after that and, uh, kept, kept that like electrolyte plan, um, moving. And, you know, for me, like my failures, I try to like, um, I just try to learn from them and then like incorporate them into my races. Like I, another little one would be like, uh, you know, at Angela's crest, I got super chafed, like, su- like so chafed, like literally no skin on my genitals. Uh, that's probably like a little too much uh, information, but like I had to quit. I, I felt it. And, uh, because like, I mean, that's just pain. You can't, you can't get over. And when I went back and reflected on why I got so chafed, it was because it was so hot. I was wearing like an ice bandana and the, I, I was putting so much ice in the ice bandana. And then I was putting ice in my like camel pack or not my camel pack, but my, you know, hydration pack. And it was sweating and it was yeah. like running down my body, which felt amazing, but it was washing off all the loop. Yep. And, um, so now <laughs> what I've learned, what I learned is like, I can still use my ice bandana, but what I do is I put a lot less ice in it or I just soak it in water so that I don't get that like constant streaming of fluid. Mm-hmm. And, and the only reason I'm telling you this is because it's like, it was a small thing that I failed on, but now it is like every race I do that every race. I don't make that mistake again. Right. So I'm always trying to like, if I have a failure, I analyze it like really, really well. And then I incorporate that into my future races. And and I think like, that's one of the things I love so much about ultras is you're constantly figuring out your own body. You're constantly figuring out what works for you and you're, you're growing and improving at every race. And so, you know, a lot of people ask me for advice. A lot of people are like, Hey, you know, what's the secret, blah, blah. And for me to tell people, I always tell them the secret is you have to figure out your own body. Mm-hmm. There is no, there's no quick fix. There's no like, you know, secret that I can give you that's going to make you successful. You have to make yourself successful. And the only way you're going to do that is hard work, 
consistency and failure. And, um, cause I mean, that's what I did. And, and when I look like I, I do the bad water salt and sea, have you ever heard of that race? It's, uh, it's, it's another bad water race and it's at, uh, out in salt and sea, which is in California, but it's a team race. And so okay. you have to run with three people and inevitably one person always fails. One person always has a hard time. And Cause everybody's got to finish together, right? Yeah. You, you run the whole 81 miles together. Okay. So, um, but what I've found is I've, I've done it like three or four times and every ultra runner I run with, we all do everything completely different. We wear different hydration packs. We use different lube. We use different calorie things. Um, you know, what we eat is different. Our electrolytes are different. Like it doesn't matter. We, we, everybody does it completely different. And that's what I love about this sport. There's no, like you do X and then you do Y and you get Z. You know, you, you, you want to run a marathon, there are like cookie cutter, this is what you do. You increase your miles 10%, you eat this, you do this, and you'll be successful. In ultra running, there is no formula um, because everybody's body's different and everybody's at a different point in their journey. And, you know, everybody has a different foot strike and gait and everybody weighs differently. And all that plays in a huge factor. Um and the only way for you to figure that out is to go out and run. Mm-hmm. So uh, and that, that's why I think like people will say, you know, life's not a sprint. It's a marathon cliche. I don't think it's a marathon at all. I think it's more of, you know, a hundred mile trail run. And, yeah. and you've experienced, I mean, it's probably more than that, right? It's probably like, it's more like UTMB. Yeah. Cause there's so many variables and you have to, you know, reach the essence of who you are as an individual, meet yourself and, and like the smallest thing, like you mentioned, just having that ice to be able to rub off all that lube. It's amazing. Right. And it's just one little lesson that I learned. And now, you know, it, it, it's fundamentally changed how I approach certain things, you know? Mm-hmm. So, Andy, with, with success, um, the success being the product, like when you have reached those mountaintops, when you've had like those successful races, when you've, you know, You've, you've reached it. The process is the process more important than that product. I mean, I, I think so. I, I, I sometimes like, don't even really like to race. I really just like to train. Um, I mean, racing is fun, but like, I, I, I like the journey way more than, you know, the, what's the, the, the Taoist saying? It's like the journey is the reward. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that resonates with me like a lot because um, during COVID when all the races were like closed and everything. And, you know, I started running the 8,000 miles a year. It's like, I almost didn't want to, ra- I didn't want to race because I knew I would have to taper and I would have to like do all these things. And it's like, no, nah, I just, I just want to run 150 miles a, a week. Can I just do that? Like, that's way more fun. And like, you know, it, then, then having to do all these things and, you know, you get ready for a hundred mile race. Like, you know, I just ran one this weekend and it's like, I probably won't be able to run over 20 miles straight for like, like four or five days, which I know that sounds crazy, but like, I like running over 20 miles. So the fact that like my body's not ready to be there yet, I'm like, man, that's a bummer. You know, I want to go run like 20 miles and instead I'm having to do like 10 miles and then, you know, 10 miles in the evening, I get my 20 miles, but it's just not the same. Mm -hmm. So sometimes with racing, you know, I, I don't like, the, the preparation beforehand and I don't like the feeling afterwards of not being able to keep like going, but, uh, 
yeah, I, I think like while you're out there racing, like that's all just a result of all that hard work. And that's what I was talking about with Badwater, like so many hours put into getting ready for that race. And then, you know, you're like, man, that, that's just all that time. And then I couldn't even be successful, but you know, I, I was successful in learning some important lessons and I, you know, that, that's, that's a good, good thing. I, uh, yeah. So, so, so does, um, I mean, does the product even, you know, or the results at all, does it even matter to you? No, no, I, I honestly, I don't, I I've come in dead last and then I've come in first and everywhere in between. And, you know, people always say, Hey, what's your goal for this? What, what time goal do you have for this race? And I say, well, I have two goals. I want to finish and I want to smile. And I'm going to accomplish both of those. So that's sort of what I look at now. Um, I mean, lately I've had some, I've had some, some uh, success, which is cool. Um, I think the success has more to do with consistency and patience than actual like physical ability. Um, but, you know, obviously I think my training has played some role, but in a hundred mile race, I think, there's a lot of attrition. There's a lot of, uh, you know, people falling apart. And if you can just stay consistent and patient and sort of wait to the end to like, give it everything you got, then it, lately it's been working out well for me. Who slows so, down the least? Yeah. I mean, better to be fast at mile 80 than mile 20. As mm -hmm. I like to say, you know, talk to, us, so, talk to us about, talk to us about patience and how that plays out in, in, in running and in your life. Well, I mean, so in, in running in a race and whatnot, like I try to start off really slow, which is really hard to do in a race because, you know, you, you're, you're all tapered and you feel fresh and, and strong. Um, and then to like go out and like really not push it and just like I'll look at my heart rate and I try to keep it like super low. Like I think the first maybe 50 or 60 miles of this last race I did, my heart rate was like 133. And, um, which is like zone two, um, out of five. So obviously I'm not pushing myself at all. And, uh, that, I mean, that was the plan. And I, you know, there's a guy out there that ran a an hour, 30 minute half marathon. That's how he started this race. And he lapped me like three or four times. And I'm like thinking to myself, Oh my God, is this, what, is this guy going to run like a 12 hour, hundred miler? No. What happened was he blew up and he disappeared. And like several hours later, I saw him limping along the course with like ice all on him and everything like that, because, you know, he went out too fast and I used to do that. And that's how, that's another fail point for me is like, I used to do that Steve Prefontaine, like just, Oh, just hammer those first 50 miles and then sort of just try to hold on the last 50. Right. Um, but I found more success in doing it the opposite way of going really, really slow and then hammering the last 20. Um, so, but it, I mean, patience in life too. I mean, it, I, I think life is like, I, I make a lot of like long-term goals. Like, you know, you have your one-year goal, you have your five-year goal, you have your 10-year goal, whatever, 20-year goal. And, and you can't really rush those, right? Because they're like long-term goals and you just have to, you have to be really patient and just slowly whittle away the old uh, saying, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Unless you're a vegan, like I am, then I don't eat elephants. But, you know, the whole the whole saying, I think it works well in life. And that's just all about just being patient and understanding that 
if you have these big goals, like a hundred mile race or, you know, whatever, getting a promotion or whatever it is, that's a huge thing. There's no instant gratification. You have to slowly whittle away at it until you're successful and you have to be patient. You can't, you, you can't get frustrated when it doesn't happen right away. You know, when you don't, you know, you, and you might fail a bunch of times along the way. And you got to be patient about that too. Like you got to change your goal. Maybe, okay, well now it's a, a two-year goal instead of a one-year goal or, or whatever. Um, yeah, I guess that, that's my philosophy yeah. on patience. Can you, can you share with us, like, what are some of the long-term goals that you have? Uh, I mean, like, Career-wise, like my, my long-term goal is like I, I'd like to be a fire chief. So like I'm you know slowly working towards that, um, which involves you know obviously promotion process and all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. I, I'd like at some point to to run my own fire department. Um, I, I like the whole you know philosophy behind that, and then just like the political. It's like a political job, but it's also you know you're still involved with the fire department, and I just you know I, I work heavily in politics uh, from a union perspective. And then as a captain, like I'm in charge of my own shift. So um, I, I'm slowly whittling away at that, taking classes and educating myself and putting myself into a position of, of promotability. And, and you don't just go straight to fire chief. Like, you know, there's like levels, mm-hmm. battalion chief, deputy chief, then fire chief, things like that. So career wise, that'd be more of my long-term goals. And then, uh, as far as what I'm doing now, long-term goals, it's just mostly just traveling the world, doing fun races and, and things like that, and trying to take advantage of as many opportunities as I can before I, you know, they go away or I, I can't do it anymore. Um, there are so many races internationally that I want to do. And, uh, you know, I have, like I said, like you said in the beginning, full-time job, three kids, wife. A lot of responsibilities so it takes me a while to be able to do all these races mm-hmm. so it's just it's just going to take time and then some of the races like you have to qualify for like utmb so you have to run a bunch of other races in order to qualify for to get into that race um you know i would love to do hard rock which is impossible to get into mm-hmm. and so in order to do hard rock you have to every year enter the lottery and in order to qualify for the lottery you have to run a hard mountain race so you know i might have to do that for 10 years 15 years before i get into hard rock so you just sort of but you slowly whittle away at that and then hopefully someday i'll be successful in the lottery um just be paid there's so many fun races though it's like while i'm waiting for hard rock i can do all these other fun things and you know keep keep doing what i'm doing Hey, good looking. If you like this podcast and are already a badass, but it's all way too complicated, then visit our website, drrobbell.com and schedule a call with us to help capture your very own hinge moment. What about Western States for you? You know, I, 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 I gave up on Western States. It's, it's it become such a circus. And, uh, yeah, I had seven years in, um, in the, uh, maybe seven or eight years into the lottery. And then, uh, Mount Fuji happened, which we'll, we can touch on in a sec, but basically what happened in Mount Fuji is I almost died and 
uh, I pretty much gave up on racing and running for a little bit. And so then I didn't re-enter in that lottery. And so then I lost all my tickets, you know, whatever it is, a hundred and something tickets. And, and I just kind of was like, man, that's so lame. And, and then like, you know, the more popular it gets, the more people enter. And it's just, right, right. I'm like, I don't know. It's uh, maybe I'll go run. Uh, what's the other hundred mile race that, that happens in, that's around there. there. There's another hundred mile race that runs on like half the course out there. I can't think of what it's called, but, um, or maybe, you know, someday I'll just go out there and run it on my own, you know, so and not it's kind of like, it's kind of like green day, right? Like Dookie fantastic album. Then they have, you know, good riddance. And it's like, I'm not listening to that band anymore. Right. Right. Well, you know, <laughs> it's, it's just like, everybody asks you, Hey, have you done Western States? And it's like, no, I haven't. Cause I never got in. Um, and I've tried, but, I'm also not afraid to go run a hundred miles in the mountains by myself and just set right. up aid stations. You know, I, I've done hundred mile runs solo, self-supported. Um, I've done lots and lots of ultra distances like that. And I know I could do it. So that just mm-hmm. might be something I do someday is go drive up there and, you know, just do it on my own. So, I mean, I don't need, when I run races, I do them mostly solo yeah. with very limited food and water and, and all that stuff. And I don't need all that fanciness. Right. So. And do you think but, I could run some of that with you? Yeah, of course. Yeah. We could, we could, we could make it happen. That'd be awesome, man. But Hey, if anybody wants to give me a golden ticket and go to Western States, I'll, I will take it and I will run it. <laughs> so the offers on the table, I will take a golden ticket to, to Western States. Yeah. So you have to, I mean, you alluded to it, but you have to share with us. I mean, share with us the experience of Mount Fuji. Yeah. So, so Mount Fuji, I would not consider like a failure, Okay. Um, which is why when you brought it up earlier, right, right. Mount Fuji was more of a, like a tragedy that happened. I basically, Mount, so um, they have a race in Japan. It's called Ultra Trail Mount Fuji. And it like circumvents the, the mountain of, of Mount Fuji. Uh, it's a hundred miles or like somewhere around there, 110. And, um, it was, so my wife and I go out to Japan, we have like this perfect weather. It's like cherry blossom season. It's beautiful. You know, we spend some time in Tokyo. Um, we go out to the the middle of like nowhere, Japan, which is really just beautiful and cool. You, you see all these pictures of Japan and it's all like, you know, cityscape and it's all like smashed together and everyone's like living in these little coffins and everything. But like a lot of Japan is very rural. And, um, and just beautiful. Mm-hmm. And so we drive out there and we stay in this like, like really cool little like hostel type place where they give us like the little robes and the slippers and everything. It was like, you know, we emerged ourselves into the, the culture, but, um, wake up for race morning and we have to take a bus to the start line. And it is like pouring rain, like pouring, like monsoon rain. And we're like, oh man, you know, I, I've done some hundred mile races and, full you know when it rained the whole time and so then i'm like mentally preparing like okay this is going to be one of those races where it's just going to rain the whole time and you're just going to have to like get through it um and and i i was doing okay like the first 30 so miles i was you know just doing my normal thing like not killing myself but not moving super slow just still downpour the whole time yeah just just downpouring and um so we get to the this mountain it's like i've I've run all day now and it's like getting to be like dusk we'll say like three o'clock and we get to this mountain and we're having to climb this mountain and it's like there's no switchbacks you're just going straight up it 
and it's very, very muddy to the point where they had these ropes tied to trees and you were actually like, like pulling yourself up the mountain using the ropes to, to get up. And then there'd be kind of a trail and you keep going and then you'd have to pull yourself up again. It was insane. I've, I've never had that happen in a race before. It was pretty crazy. That's how steep it was. So we finally get to the top and, uh, it's right when like dusk is like starting to come. So it's starting to get dark. So you get your headlamp out, you know, you start getting into your night ops mode. And, um, then all of a sudden it was like this like cloud like formed over the mountain and it became like super foggy and um you know it's still raining and everything but it's like super foggy which when a headlamp reflects off fog you can't really right. see what's going on because right. it like reflects the light back at you and so i'm like oh man this is i'm gonna have to go slow on this and 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 the downhill side of the mountain was just as steep as the uphill but as we started down it the rain just intensified and the mountain just started to like give away. And it was just like, just mud just flowing down. Like you see in like movies and stuff. Like, I mean, I'm from California in the desert. We don't get mudslides. I, I I'm not like, I'm not familiar with them. It's not like in my wheelhouse. Um, I mean, it, and it's going down, it's breaking trees. There's all these little, like, you know, two, three inch trees and they're all snapping and, um, are you getting caught up? I mean, like you're, you're on your ass at this point or yeah, I mean, you know, any, any way I can do it. But a lot of time I was on my ass sliding. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of it was like holding onto trees and trying to negotiate. Okay. I'm going to slide from this tree to this tree. Um, because if there wasn't something to hold on to, you could just be swept away indefinitely. Um, so it was really like this trying to, you know, not get swept off the side of the mountain. There was a cliff to the left of us. Um, and you can't uh, see. Yeah. And I can't see all you see is like little headlamps sporadically over the, the mountain. And, you know, I'm, I know I'm supposed to be heading down it, but you can't, there's no trail. There's no, you know, anything. Right. I mean, I, I, it's just, so it took me seven hours to go like two miles. And, uh, after that experience, um, one, I didn't talk about it for like two years. I didn't write about it. I didn't do anything. And two, it like, I just, cause it was so traumatizing. I just couldn't, I couldn't even like, I didn't want to talk about it. I just, I, I thought I was going to die. And like, you know, you, you have those like talks with God and everything about like, Oh my God. And uh, yeah, it's just, I didn't, you know, it, it just really touched my soul in a way that I didn't want to like re rediscover it. So and I basically like stopped running and racing for like a year after that. Um, when I say stopped running, I still ran, but it was like six or seven miles a day. And I hated every mile and I just did it because I knew I had to. Otherwise I'd go crazy. But uh, there was like no joy in it. There was no smiling. It was like just totally faking it. Um, yeah. And it was just... <laughs> So I don't chalk that up as a failure. I the only the only way I see it as a failure is like because I gave up on running and I gave up on racing. But I look at it more as like I just had such bad PTSD from almost dying that I just needed some time to sort of get over it. You know, time heals all wounds, yeah. and I needed to to let time do its thing, and it did eventually. I started kind of upping my mileage. I started feeling good about running again. I started, 
you know, doing all those things and everything and, and kind could, of clicked back in place. Cause I, I love it that you share that. Um, but I have to take a step into it a little bit further. Tell us about what happened that touched the soul of who you are as an individual. Cause you talk about all these races. I mean, you fail bad water, but you're still running here. I mean, this hits you to the core. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I have three young kids and this happened, you know, I, I have a wife and, you know, I, I don't want to die. I'm not, you know, this is like a hobby of mine and I have fun doing it, but I'm not out here. And I understand there's always a level, you know, danger when you do something like ultra running or stuff like that. But like, I'm not out there running thinking I'm going to die. You know, there's, there's like a, there's just a different feeling when you like, when you truly believe you're going to die and you go into this like intense sort of like survival mode where it's like, I mean, you like, (laughs) you literally think you're going to die. You know, I mean, um, and that's what you thought. Yeah, I really thought I was going to die. I thought I was going to die on that mountain. Is anybody and, around you at that point? I mean, just, to, you know, not closely, but you'd see headla- headlights and everybody. Yeah. I mean, I was like, there's like three Americans out there. Everybody spoke Japanese. And one thing about the Japanese is they do not speak English. So there's nobody out there to converse with or like, you know, try to get through it together or any of that stuff. It was like every man and woman for themselves. And they ended up canceling the race like. Like after, I don't know, another couple of hours after that, but because the weather just continued to get bad, but you made, you made it down. I did make it down. And then of course, to add insult to injury and all ultras, I had to run like another seven miles to the aid station down like some, you know, dirt road in Japan. Um, but you know, it was, it was a miserable seven miles. I'll tell you that much. So the immediate, uh, the immediate aftermath of you kind of reflecting on that, what was that process like? Well, I mean, it was, you know, my wife and I had a whole nother week planned in Japan. So, uh, we just, we got out of the rural area. We went back to Tokyo and we just tried to be tourists in Japan and just tried to like make the best of it. And like, you know, enjoyed spending time together and, did touristy stuff and just tried to distract ourselves through that, you know? Um, because, you know, what are you supposed to do after like thinking you're almost going to die? It's like, you want to spend time with your loved ones. So, um, and then went home and hugged my kids super tight. And, um, you know, then I obviously kind of stopped running. So I just spent a lot of time with my family and focused more on that than anything else. But, it was a like a life changing experience for sure. And what and was the not, what, what was the major good that came out of that? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I think anytime you almost die, you feel like more grateful, and you you know want to waste less time. I don't know if I needed that life lesson <laughs> because <laughs> I already see a lot of like death and horrible things, and I already try to like not waste any time, um, but it definitely reinforced it for me. Uh, you know, I, I think in, in my job, you see a lot of some guy wakes up, you know, brushes his teeth, puts his suit on normal day. And then something happens and he dies and he didn't know he was going to die. You know, he brushed his teeth and he tied his tie and did everything like he normally does. And something absolutely tragic happened to him and he died. And I see that a lot. Um, 
And so I literally, you know, part of my obsession and part of my waking up early and not wasting any moments is like, I don't want to have any regret when I die. I want to know that like every second of my day was spent doing something productive and, and moving towards goals that I'm trying to reach. And uh, I'm not always successful, you know, you know, everybody needs a little downtime here and there. And, um, but I'm pretty driven and I'm pretty motivated to get things done. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's just like one of those things. I don't know if I needed that life lesson, but it definitely reinforced the things I see on a daily basis at work. Mm-hmm. So. And I'm kind of processing that you sharing that because, uh, I love you going there, man. I appreciate you sharing that, dude. It's yeah, it's, it's you know, it's still I still get a little choked up. So I mean, it's still a little hard to to talk about. But I, I know it's you know, I my hope is that by sharing it, it will help somebody else that had something maybe traumatic happen to them and realize that you know there is light on the other end of the tunnel. You just sometimes you got to take some time and, and get through it. But um, yeah, life life is hard and life is unfair and you know, yeah, it, it is what it is. Bad things happen to good people and all, all those cliches, but it, they are very, very true. Is there, um, is there any interest in bigs? Uh, yeah, I, you know, I've been thinking more about it. Um, I got to find one that I can do. I haven't done one yet. I know it's weird for me to say you're talking about bigs backyard. Bigs Ultra, backyard. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I just gotta like I gotta find one that are like with qualifier or something like that, and then you know, um, I, I think that I, I could do pretty well at a race like that. But it, it's so different. I, I just need to try it out. You know, I need to to see what it's all about. How I because you'd have to I'd have to come up with a new fueling plan and a new you know sleep plan and all that sort of stuff. Um, and you're I'm kind of you're good at NASA, person. though. Yeah, no, I, I mean it is, but it, it's. Uh, how do, how do I come up with those plans by going out and doing it and then failing and then changing mm-hmm. it and doing it again? So um, it's, it's definitely on my list of things I want to do. Uh, I, I found one that's in March around me, but it didn't look like very many people had signed up for it yet. So I'm kind of waiting to see if more people sign up because I don't want to go do it if there's like five guys doing it. You know, it's like I kind of want I want to be tested a little bit, but mm-hmm. um yeah, it's definitely on my list of things I will do at some point because nice. um, I'm a grinder and that's just a grind, right? You're just out there grinding. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and I, and I can move for a long time, yeah, with uh, minimal food and sleep. So, Andy, what, because I've enjoyed this conversation a lot, man. Um, I appreciate that. It's been fun. What, what questions should I be asking that, that I haven't asked? Um, I don't know. That's a, that's a hard question. I, I don't know. Um, that, that one will stump me. I'm, I'm not, I'm tell better. Us about, tell us about the no meat athlete. Okay. Um, so I, I, I'm a vegan, but I started as a vegetarian and I basically became a vegan because I got a dairy allergy. So, um, like lactose. Yeah, like I just get like bad stomach and gas and all that stuff when I eat dairy. So I was a vegetarian for like 
15 years. And then the last couple of years, I've been a vegan. Uh, it basically happened because I was married previously and my ex-wife and I ate a lot of meat, like a lot, a lot of meat. And when I got divorced, I wanted to just like start fresh and try a bunch of new things. And at the time, you know, I, I was like so anti-vegetarianism and like the whole idea of it was like just so I hated it that I said yeah. to myself, well, I'm going to try it for 30 days because if you're going to hate something, I feel like how can you hate something if you've never tried it? Sure. It's one of the lessons I try to teach my kids. Like if they say like, oh, no, I don't like that. I'm like, oh, really? Have you tried it before? And if they say no, then they have to eat a whole plate of it. So they know. It's kind of, it's kind of like the Ramones say, test. Yeah, they, yeah, it's exactly. They know not to that. say they don't, they hate something if they've never tried it. But uh, so I tried it for 30 days. And uh, at the time I was doing a lot of triathlons and I was sort of thinking like, oh, maybe I'll like, you know, start doing these a little bit more competitively and, and see where that heads. This is before I was a firefighter. And, um, man, I just never felt better. Like quitting meat and, and eating a vegetarian diet was like, like a game changer to me. And so I just never went back. Um, that 30 days became 15 years. And then now 15 years has become a couple of years of being a vegan. And, uh, I, it just, I, I know it doesn't work for everybody and I'm not one of those like vegan vegetarian people that like goes and like preaches and tells people what they should do. Um, but it works for me. So, yeah. and then, and then that's just the important thing is it works for me. So I do it and I don't care what you do. If you want to eat meat every day, if it works for you, I'm, yeah. I'm totally, I'm not an ethical vegan where I'm like worried about all that stuff. It's, it's really just, it works for me. Yep. So, um, I mean, my son eats meat, my daughters eat meat, my wife's a vegan, but our kids eat meat and we cook meat for them and everything. And, um, you know, we don't impose any of that, that stuff on them. So, right. but, uh, yeah, I, you know, when people ask, like, I guess one question I get a lot is people are always like, well, how do you recover? And I, and I, I don't really have a good answer, but I mean, in general, I think it has a lot to do with my diet the amount of fluids I take, um, the fact that I run like 95% of my runs are very slow pace. Mm -hmm. um, you don't stretch. I don't, I don't stretch. No, right. well, I do. I'll, I'll do some like dynamic stretching sometimes sure. in the mornings, just like, you know, rotating your ankles and, you know, swinging your legs back and forth and stuff like that. But I don't do any static stretching. Um, so I wear good shoes. I run really slow. And, and, and when I say I run slow, like, I mean, a lot of my miles are like 12 minute miles, honestly. And, and people are like, that is so slow. That's like, I mean, I can walk that fast. Uh, I mean, sometimes I even go into the 13s. Um, but then when I race, I can race in the nines. So I, you know, but because I am always moving slowly, um, it's easier to recover because my heart rate's in a low zone. My body's not getting super taxed. I wear really good shoes. I drink a lot of water and I eat a good diet. And um, maybe that's the answer or maybe it's just I have good genetics or, you know, who knows? I don't know how I do it, but I do it. So you master the simple, man. You master the yeah. simple. Active recovery is a big thing. You know, it's like if you go out and do something really hard 
I, I see all these like videos that they drive, drive me nuts. Like I literally saw a video on like Instagram or TikTok the other day where they said that you should take a day off for every mile that you ran in a race. So if you ran a 10 K, you should take six days off. If you ran a marathon, you should take 26 days off. And I'm like, what? that is the worst advice I've ever yeah. heard. My philosophy is that if you run or race or do something like that, you should immediately the next day yeah. run again. And it doesn't have to be fast. I mean, you could do a 14 minute mile, but just that movement, that active yeah. recovery, that getting the fluids going through your I've joints. Walked. Yeah. I mean, even if you walk, like yeah. just move. If you sit still and try to give yourself body to rest and recover, you're going to get stiff and you're going to like feel terrible. So they said for every mile that you run in a race, you need to take off. What kind of lun yeah, I, lun it's lunacy? I don't think they'd ever heard of an ultra marathon because that'd be like, oh, so I'm going to take three months off. Yeah, I, I don't think they'd ever heard about Jeez, that. Man. I mean, yeah, my body hurts if I, when I start to taper, Not I'm just not talking about the mind, but if I'm taking off, like if I have it structured off, I take a couple of days off, that's when my body starts to ache and hurt. Oh, yeah. I I hate tapering. My literally, I feel like my body is failing, you know, and my tapers are, ter you know, I do a 60 mile taper the week before a race. So, right. you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a good taper, but like even just running only, six, only 60 miles. And I'm like, I feel like I'm out of shape. My body is sore. Like, I feel I'm like, is that an injury? What, what's going on? What's that? Why, why does that feel like that? It shouldn't feel right. like that. You know, and it's just this whole emotional <laughs> roller coaster. So. Now, uh, when you see a post like that, do you comment on it? No, no, I'm not, yeah. I don't get into any of that. So, I, like, I try I was, to well, like, I'm wondering how far the punk mentality goes here, right? No, like, no, I, I, I uh, social media for me is just all putting positive stuff out there because there's already so much negative. I no, just not love that about you, man. Yeah, I, I, and and like you know, you say my funny videos, like I'm just trying to be funny. You know, I'm just trying to like make make people smile and like. I know some of them are dumb and like some of them don't work, but like some of them, some of them do. And like, yeah. you know, it's kind of cool. I don't know. I, I just, I don't know what I'm really doing. I'm just having fun. So no, I love it, man. Smile, bud. Doing good. Yeah, exactly. See, some, some sometimes my punk mentality come out. I just, I need to step in it because I'm like, I right. can't, ha I can't have people that come away from that and then they spread it. And then it's like, wait a minute. Like, no, nah, that's, that's not quite right. Younger Andy would probably has probably got on the line and started some flame wars, but older, more mature Andy doesn't do that anymore. Yeah. See, I didn't know if like if there might have been a comment like, "Hey, that's interesting. I never really thought about that." And then nah, be like, "Hey, nah. I've got a, a you know streak here of 100 plus miles." So. Yeah. Well, I I see a lot of people like like make videos and stuff, and I can tell that they're like sort of direct digs at me, and I'm no like, "Wait, really?" Well, just because like I mean you know I'm streakers and people like that run eye mileages and all that stuff. And it's like, I honestly don't care. Like I'm like, Hey, that's I'm just awesome, doing my man. thing, you know? <laughs> I think that's so cool, dude. Because but they don't, they don't, yeah, they don't boo nobody's man. You know, if they get people that are parody right. or making fun of you or, or knocking on you, dude, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, it always brings engagement into the, the, the mix. That's for sure. Dude, I love so. that. I got <laughs> one more question. I got one more question. Okay. It's just a personal sure. standpoint. Like, were you a Henry sure. Rollins fan at all? Oh yeah. And I've read a lot of his poetry books and, and all that sort of stuff. I, I really, really like him. Cause so. I was, um, uh, again, an East coaster, man. So I'm from, you know, outside DC. Yeah. And then, um, 
you know, where I went to school and everything, it was, uh, yeah, but I was always a huge, huge Henry Rollins fan, but I always felt again, back in 92, when, you know, um, you know, his buddy Cole died, like it, it always seemed like that moment, um, it's tough to like put it all in a vacuum, you know what I mean? But that moment, I kind of tied it in for some reason to your experience, like with, you know, with Mount Fuji, because he, he gets to the essence of life and he's like, look, man, like if you don't have time to take a needle and shoot it up your arm, you don't have time to drink, you know, that liquor, that poison and stuff like that. You have to suck the nectar out of life and get everything you can out of it. Yeah, it's so true. It really is. Sometimes people don't get that, but it's hard to it's hard to experience that without without seeing it and without really without feeling it, you know, because everybody feels like they have so much time. And we just never know when that you know, when that time card's gonna get punched, you know. <laughs> I would say, uh, and I heard this one, I kinda like it, but we're you know, we're all on a clock with with no hands. Like we don't know where the hands are at, man. Yeah, it's true. We really don't. And, and yeah, I, like I can't say it enough. Like I literally see it almost every day where, you know, person just having a normal day, normal, everything is good and something tragic happens and that's that. Mm-hmm. And there's no coming back from that. So um, I hope it doesn't happen to me. And I, you know, I work hard to stay healthy and do all the, the right things so that it doesn't happen to me, but accidents happen and tragedy happens. So don't waste a second. Thanks so much, brother, for uh, for doing this, man. I really enjoyed it. No, I appreciate you having me. I, like I said, I just, I love spreading the positivity and I love talking about running. So it works out. Thanks for listening to Mental Toughness with Dr. Rob Bell. To find out more about Dr. Rob, visit his website at drrobbell.com or follow him on Twitter at Dr. Rob Bell. And subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform to get the next episode of Mental Toughness as soon as it's available. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.